You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. This week we'll be finding out how sleep can affect childhood BMI and body fat. Uh, and so it was a bit of a surprise that sleep uh, got so high in the ranking. But before that, Babatunde Oshotaman, Under Secretary General of the UN and Executive Director of the UN Population Fund, joins us in the studio. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, Dr. Oshotaman. One thing we've been criticised for in the journal is that we've covered climate change, but we've never really talked about population as an aspect of that. As director of the Population Fund, is that something that you're specifically looking at? As it inter- interfaces with with population and sustainability, yes, it's, it's, yes, we do. The interesting thing for us is that uh, the emissions come from the north, where populations mm. are shrinking, and uh, and the south, you know, where populations. Uh, where you still have a vibrant population growth and young people, emissions are not as high as in the north. Mm-hmm. But I think going forward, what we want to do and to continue to do is to provide opportunities for young people in the south to engage in such a way that they will be entrepreneurs in the green economy mm-hmm. going forward so that we don't then repeat the uh, experience of the mm. North and the South. Mm. As, as, yeah. Absolutely. I, I was talking to David Nabarro um, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. about you know, his concerns around the food security and, and climate change and, and what's going on there. I mean, it seems like the UN is actually trying to, to, to bring all these different sectors together and, and come up with... A, yeah, an I, 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 you know, obviously we have to look at various things at the same time when you when you talk the sustainability issue, food security, climate change, water supply, and population growth, those are important things in the equation of sustainability. And the real plus twenty uh, meeting, which would happen you know, sometime next year, uh, also is thinking about this: the green economy, the institutions and structures that would drive it, and and the people that are in the center of this. Mm. Well, are you worried that population in general, we've kind of exceeded the planet's carrying capability See, there? That's, that's a difficult thing to answer because it's about equity and social justice. And, and I think that that's, that's really the issue. Vast numbers of people in the world are poor who really don't have uh, the opportunities for them to have the dignity which they require in life they tend to then not be able to control their environment Mm. in the way you want them to control it. If you go forward and you open up spaces for them, you allow them to make those choices, give them access to all of what they require to be be dignified human beings, you must also ensure that in the choices they make, they do not add on to the problems that we do find Mm. now. Mm. Um, The other thing that uh, that people are worried about is displaced populations coming back because of climate change, whether it is flooding, whether it is desertification. Is that something that that, that you think is beginning to... Of course, because uh, when you have displaced populations, you have, from my perspective, you know, uh, vulnerabilities, particularly of children and women. And we see that in some of those circumstances, women 
because they are vulnerable, are also violated. They also, their gender-based violence also increases in those third places. So yes, of course, it's a cause of worry and it's a cause of bother. And in, 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 in death certifications, you find that women are the ones who go longer distances to find, to look for water or to find fuel and all of that. So, yeah, there are great concerns. And is the UN leading on that in any particular way? In many ways, because the UN has UN energy now. That there's also, you know, I also know that, you know, uh, the World Food Programme, FAO, IFAD, they're also looking at the issues of food security and all of that. And and between us, we all talk about sustainability, which, which is which is a, a big thing, and, and I believe that we would come up from the real conference with some concrete things that would lead would lead the world in the next decade in terms mm. of going forward. You touched on reproductive rights there, and I understand that's been progress made all around the world to empower women to take charge of their infertility. Do you think we're on the right track there now? I think so. I think so. And I think we need to continue to promote and push. I just came out of uh, a mission with the Secretary General in Nigeria and Ethiopia. And I was impressed by, you know, the kinds of things that was happening at community level, uh, where, for an example, in Ethiopia, community health workers, you know, were engaging with families and communities in terms of those kinds of decisions we they have to make. I was also impressed in Nigeria that, you know, I saw a counseling of a couple as to what should be their choice in terms of, you know, mm. contraception. I thought that was really a, a good step forward. And I want to believe that it is not just about, uh, and, and in both circumstances, it was not just about one choice or about, you know, for instance, in, in in Nigeria, there were about five choices, you know, that you could make, and Ethiopia was about the same thing. And and I think that access, the issue that people are having access, uh, would would uh, would ensure that people take charge of their lives, and uh, and they come to a point where they will only have the number of children they can look after, they can educate, they can clothe, they can feed, mm. and uh, develop appropriately. So. I think those kinds of uh, uh, fertility ideals, which you know might be appropriate to to a developing economy, would come. Uh, what we'll find is that uh, the upper quintile in in any society makes the choices and are able to access services. The lower quintile makes choices, but they are not able to access yeah. services. So. Equity and access and all of that are the things that we must continue to push and ensure. And so, you think that's the the, the biggest area that we've got to to, to make it to make we, we must ensure that we we deal with those lower quintiles, make sure they have information, they have uh, education, they have access, they have empowerment, and and so they're able to make the choices which they want. Hmm. Are there any areas in the field of reproductive health or, or otherwise that that you think we are neglecting as a global community? Um, I, I I want to believe that, I, I would insist that it is engagement of young people. I think that is really there it is. And engaging them within their country context, engaging them, ensuring that they they have 
the access to information and services at the appropriate time. And I think that it will make a huge difference. Now, of course, alongside with that, we must give them economic empowerment. We must, we must enable them political participation because then they, that makes them holistic and mm. ensures that they feel that they're part of a family. Mm. Great. Well, I think that's a lovely point to, uh, to leave that on. Thanks. Thank you very much. Next, published this week in the BMJ is a New Zealand study which looks at the link between sleep and BMI and body fat in young children. Joining me on the phone from Dunedin is Barry Taylor from the Department of Women's and Children's Health at the University of Otago. Barry, there's been lots of studies already looking at the link between sleep and health and more specifically uh, sleep and BMI. So what's already known on this subject? There has been lots of studies already looking at the link between sleep and health and particularly sleep and BMI. Um, could you just sort of run through that with us? Well, I think at just about every age where it's been looked at, there's been an association in cross-sectional studies between short sleep duration and increased chance of being overweight. We were particularly interested in sleep because um, I, we'd been doing a lot of research to do with sleep anyway, and the real focus was to say if childhood obesity is such an increasing problem in New Zealand society as it is in uh, most countries of yeah, the world. Um, where the where are the critical intervention points? And so the the intervention points in adulthood are actually not very effective. Uh, there's often a large rebound um, oh. issue, and I've worked a lot with adolescents, and actually trying to deal with adolescent children who are already markedly overweight is very very difficult. And so we wanted to go before that. And so the, the real thing was to say, well, is the point of intervention best when children are about three to five years old, just before they start school, mainly under the main influence of their family? Um, and uh, at the time that we started that study, um, in fact, that was where the literature was pointing to, suggesting that that was the best intervention time. And so then the question was, what, what are the, the habits that are established in families usually very early on in a family life that might be modifiable? And the obvious things are indeed how active children are, how active their parents are, and what sort of food they eat and how much of the food they eat. Um, but we also, because of our own previous research, were very interested in sleep. And so we very carefully measured uh, sleep. Now, obviously, all your methods are in the paper and everyone can go there and read them for free online. But so moving on, could you tell us what you found? Well, what we found was that if you just look at the cross-sectional data at the age of three, that there was some relationship between sleep and your, what your BMI was uh, at that age. But the strength of the relationship only came out when you started to summarize the sleep measured in multiple time periods. So then you started to see sleep coming out as a much more important variable than some of the others that were previously looking more important. So when we actually put it all together at the end, it looked like that maternal BMI was an important predictor, which was no surprise. Most mm -hmm. studies have shown that. Maternal smoking and pregnancies. But then the next most important variable after that was actually sleep. And, and, it, and much stronger than vegetable and fruit intake, and where, in fact, there was no relationship with a child's activity levels. Um, were you surprised by the, the strength of the association with sleep? <laughs> yes, I think somewhat. 
Um, I guess we 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 did, we deliberately measured it because we were interested in it. But I must say, I thought that the environmental variables that we were talking about at the time, which is you know how the change in how we feed our children, take away foods, um, unhealthy foods that are promoted to us very much in the supermarkets, um, I'm, I'm, I thought that those would be the strong things that would predict. Uh, BMI, uh, and so it was a bit of a surprise that sleep uh, got so high in the ranking. Mm, absolutely. Now, is um, there a sort of plausible biological mechanism for that happening? Um, I've seen inf- um, studies talking about hormonal levels and and things like that. But do you uh, you know do you think there's any? Uh, how could this this link come about? Well, I think there's lots of um, potential links, and, and some of them have been shown in basic physiology. But perhaps the most obvious one is that if you're sleeping longer, you're not eating when you're asleep. Um, but we do know that uh, short sleep affects quite a lot of hormones that control metabolism and control appetite. Uh, appetite uh, after sleep, a broken sleep or not enough sleep certainly changes. You tend to... Uh, enjoy high carbohydrate foods more, mm. uh, energy dense f- foods. It's a nice experiment showing that you have some sleep disruption, and adults are much more likely to eat high density foods, high energy dense foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's actually multiple potential mechanisms through which this might actually work. Another thing you measured was the the body composition: how much was yep. fat mass and how much wasn't. Okay. How was that affected by sleep? Well I, well, I think that, that that's perhaps one of the more important new parts of, uh, of what we've shown is that uh, previously all the uh, associations have been with BMI. Um, what we have shown by doing body composition measurements, um, both with DEXA scans at 5 and 7, is that, in fact, what increased in those with short sleep, sleep duration was primarily fat mass. There was no real change in muscle mass or bone mass, uh, and so so that is now adding another sort of bit to the picture to say that short sleep duration actually must affect something with how fat is laid down and stored and nothing to do with how muscles or bones grow. Mm. So it's really just starting to elucidate the, the mechanism by which this might actually work. Mm. So, um, I mean, I suppose another way that could would change as if the kids who were not sleeping well weren't particularly physically active during the rest of the day. Was there an association there? No, we could not find any association between the activity levels of children, again measured at multiple time points, with BMI. Um, This is perhaps in contrast to some of our other studies. We Mm. suggest that activity levels are quite important. Um, but it certainly did not come up in our data, and, and we think we were measuring activity as accurate as anybody can. And you found this, this perhaps surprising association, surprisingly strong association, between sleep and uh, uh, BMI and body fat in children. Um, and you say this is a, a good intervention point or a potential intervention point to prevent obesity later on. So do you think that message comes across to parents or is that something that, that we need to work on? I think if you look over the last 30 years, there's now pretty good evidence that both in adults and in children that sleep has become less. It appears that in Western countries, the time of going to bed 
has got later and later. Children at the population level are sleeping about half an hour less in, the, in a day than they used to 20 years ago. So, so it's quite interesting when you actually look at the changes in fast food, um, portion size uh, uh, that have been talked about as the cause of modern epidemic of obesity. You can actually look at sleep data and say that the changes in sleep patterns match the obesity epidemic just as well as, as many of the other patterns. Well, uh, Professor Taylor, thank you very much for talking to us today. Okay, my pleasure. And that article can be read in full online on bmj.com. That's all for this week. Next week sees the 30th anniversary of the first diagnosed case of AIDS. We'll be hearing from Bertrand Audouin from the International AIDS Society about recent challenges and breakthroughs in the fight against the disease. Join us then. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.